the second Sunday of Lent, and we're consistently talking about trees. Perhaps we should call it Arbor Day. (laughs) What's interesting to me is we have the story of the tree of Eden, the fruit being of the ability to teach people good or evil. And that God had forbade the man and the woman from eating from that tree. I think the serpent gets too much credit here, but obviously in the writing currently, it had a great sense of intelligence or wisdom and speaks to the woman, asking her if there any fruit that God has not allowed you to have in this garden? And she talks about all of the wonderful garden, but in the middle is a tree that they have been forbidden to eat of its fruit, or they will die. The serpent points out, no, you can eat the fruit, you won't die. So now she's caught up with the beauty of the fruit itself, the appearance, the attractiveness. So she takes the fruit of the tree and eats. And the man also eats of the fruit of the tree. I don't know how many of you were privy to this story a long time ago. However, Fortunately, in the scripture of today, it's more commonplace to recognize that it wasn't Eve that tricked Adam, but rather Eve ate of the fruit and Adam equally ate of the fruit. There's been this history that somehow Eve tricked Adam, and that's not the case friend of mine, Ed Stivender, who's a great storyteller, tells the story of creation. He dresses up in Franciscan robes. And once he's all attired, he gets into character. And he talks about God creating the world. He throws in a few things that are very funny to lighten us into becoming part of the story. He said, in the beginning, God got a little bit bored. And he looked around, he said, I think I will do something. I will create light. So there was light, dark, light, dark, light. This is good. And so creation started and evolved. And the man and the woman, who in this story called Adam and Eve. He, in fact, in the story, talks about a shocking discovery to me when I first heard his story. Because he said, when when Eve ate of the tree of good and evil of her own free will, and she offered it to Adam, and he ate of the tree of of understanding good and evil, of his own free will. It's the first time I ever heard the story in its bare essence. 
that in fact it wasn't a trick. It was out of hunger and desire to become knowledgeable. They began to understand the good and the evil. And the interesting part to me is the piece in this particular passage that for a long time I couldn't quite figure out its appropriateness to us because all of a sudden they were aware that they were naked and they hid by hiding themselves behind the clothing that they could make to cover their naked bodies. Ed in his story talks about this in a very humorous way because he says God came to back to creation and was looking for Adam and Eve and couldn't find him. So he goes, Adam and Eve! We're here. Why are you hiding? We're naked. Okay. And God knows that they've eaten the forbidden fruit. The interesting part to me is in the eating of the fruit, knowing good from evil, something else snuck in that many times I'm not quite sure I was aware of. The hiding of the naked body because of their new knowledge was a shaming aspect. They were ashamed of their appearance before God because they now knew good and evil. One of the aspects of our culture which has been overrated and grossly overdone is the fact that we assume shame about a number of things in our lives. Much like Adam and Eve hiding their nakedness before God. Shame is something that to me is tantamount to one of our major problems with our own identity. To feel shame is to immediately separate us from one another. To feel shame is to criticize self that's not good enough, that's not present enough, not acceptable enough to others. Shame, to me, coming out of the acknowledgement of good and evil is a desperate, terrible event that's been unfurled in our lives. It's so easy for people who want to be the bad fruit, carnivorous, horribleous wolves, find that working on people's shame controls them. And if you look around at the kinds of things that are being said today about people who don't fit into a particular group or pattern, and the language becomes very violent and very shameful. To me, this is the biggest tragic thing we have to face today is being shamed into changing our minds, being shamed into assuming we're wrong, to being shamed that we can't live out our lives as we have been challenged by God to live. 
I had a history teacher in high school who was quite remarkable. Scared me to death because history was not my forte. But there were so many things that happened as a result of my being taught by this individual that changed my life and the lives of all of our classmates. He said to us in a situation, we were talking about an editorial that someone had read and how important it was. And he had confirmed with the student that this, this is very important. However, I'm going to ask you to go beyond this particular situation. Find five other editorial articles on the same topic. When you've read all six, you're going to see something far different than one person's editorial, which happens to be an opinion. He encouraged us when we were studying history, if we found something that was evidentiary and seemed to be truthful, we had to compare or find other literature that in fact brought a different perspective. The greatest gift he gave to us was to know that one particular point of view is not an end-all in our lives. And if we can't embrace learning and reading and understanding things, then we've become very narrow. And matter of fact, be caught up in our own shame for the lack of knowledge. I have a granddaughter... 13 years old. She's coming to visit Grandpa. They're coming from Florida. I have wrestled with what I can tell her and share with her from my experience of this teacher. I didn't mention earlier at the 8 o'clock service, but this teacher died when I was in graduate school and seminary. And it was devastating to me. I wrote his wife and said, if for some reason my wife and I ever have a child and it's a boy, we will name him Derek Alexander Botch. Because Bob had two sons. One was Derek and the other was Alexander. And the only way I could be with Bob for a lifetime is to have a son named after his boys. I hope that I can come up with the right logic or wording not to shame, but to inspire my granddaughter for her to realize that reading and getting differing points of view is something to be honored and something to open her life to making decisions beyond what other people tell her she ought to be or do. 
that she should be independent in her life to be able to understand and make decisions based upon knowledge and fact. The truth for her as an individual. Her school happens to be one of the highest ranked public schools in the state of Florida. Therefore, I know that they will be targeted by the current philosophies around education in that state. And as I was looking at TV the other night, I don't know how many of you may have seen it, but New College is in Sarasota, Florida, where my granddaughter lives. And I knew a lot of students from my community college who would transfer to New College. They were the brightest, informed people as a group that I've ever known. And what happened at their institution, at New College, they were challenged to read more and more and more, to think out of the boxes that they'd been limited to, to stretch their imaginations and their possibilities and potentials. It was a school where, in fact, they designed their graduate program. They designed what courses they felt were necessary to have the kind of knowledge that could influence them and be instructors or teachers to others and to also be active and vibrant citizens. They're under siege. They're under siege by a government that seems to say it's better to limit our knowledge, limit our understanding, limit our appreciation, sending us into a piece of shame. If there's anything we can learn about us from the Adam and Eve story is that, yes, we do know what good and evil is, and we actually should have the information in our minds to make the decision about being a good tree bearing beautiful fruit as opposed to being a wicked tree providing rotten and terrible fruit. If there's anything we can learn on this second Sunday of Lent and Arbor Day, that we need to understand the ability to think is God's greatest gift to us. And yes, as Lent points out, we are going to make mistakes and we need to repent. And even under that circumstance, repentance can give us an insight into ourselves that allows us to grow larger, to become more connected to our peers and to our faithful citizens together. I know some may feel I've been a little bit too political today, but I don't see it as politics at all. I see it as lifeblood of meaning. Bob Bosch helped me to be strong enough to even go to college. My son bears his children's name for a reason that reminds me daily that I can't accept just one point of view. My hope is that in our Christian 
repentance and our turning ourselves around to see God's presence in all of us. We might strive to pray, to read, and to be a part of God's love to others. To be honestly bearing good fruits. So that in fact, like in the early church, when in fact they were heavily persecuted and killed because they were becoming Christian, the church kept growing because it was a place where love was experienced regularly and openly. And the caring amongst the earliest Christian community was that of their faith and salvation. May we be moved this Lent to repent our sins, to open our minds to be more broadly understanding, to appreciate the differences of opinion, and to appreciate the fact that no one person has the solution, but rather it is God's love and Jesus' presence that gives us the opportunity to be open.